there. Welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, first thing to note, AEW Rampage will not be covered on this week's episode because, as you are hearing this, well, it's been published on a Saturday, um, Rampage will be coming tonight on a Saturday, so kind of already be too late for me to cover it. So, Rampage will not be covered tonight. Well, on this episode, but Raw, SmackDown, all the other programs will be covered. So to start off with the show, let's start with Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up with the bloodline coming out. Everybody's here. The Usos, Solo, Paul Heyman, except for Roman Reigns. Now, Paul will be in the middle of the ring and he says he's gotten a huge announcement from the tribal chief that he can announce. But before Paul can even announce said announcement, the Judgment Day will come out. Now you have these two groups just standing down with each other and having a nice standoff, and you would see a spotlight moment of Solo Sokoa and Rhea Ripley just staring at each other, to the point that Paul Heyman had Jey Uso have him move spots with Solo. So Solo wouldn't be looking at Rhea, Rhea won't look at Solo, so Jey does it. Now you have Paul standing close to Solo, then you see Rhea move with Finn so Rhea can still be in the eyesight of Solo, so we have this menacing stare down between both monsters of separate groups here. Paul will say that he has got an authority to announce that he has a short-term business agreement between the Judgment Day and the Bloodline. Jay will tell Paul that him and Jimmy didn't know anything about this. Paul will say that Roman didn't want the Usos to know because they need to have their focus on getting the tag team titles back. And Paul will say that the Judgment Day will take care of the Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, and Riddle problem since they have them in the main event tonight. And also because the Bloodline will be facing off against Matt Riddle, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn at Backlash. So this kind of kills three birds with one stone here. While the Bloodline will take care of the Judgment Day's Bad Bunny problem. Now, Bad Bunny does not appear on Monday Night Raw. He's not here. But instead of Bad Bunny tonight, we have Sol Sokoa taking on Rey Mysterio. So that match will happen next after this. So we get to the match. Solo would win. And he would win by pinfall when Rey Mysterio would hit Solo with the 619. And Rey would go to the top turnbuckle for a body splash. But Solo would move out of the way. Rey would hit the mat. This will allow Solo to lift up Rey and hit him with a Samoan spike to win said match. Now, after the match, the LWO or Legado del Fantasma will come down to the ring and check on Rey Mysterio. The reason why I say or Legado del Fantasma is because the LWO is Legado del Fantasma mixed in with Rey Mysterio as this group here. WWE is trying to make a whole lot of super groups. I'm cool with that, but I just feel like Legato the Fantasma just, it feels right just calling them Legato instead of LWO. It's just my whole nerdy process. Either way, they'll come down there to check up on Ray, but Solo Sokoa and the Usos would attack LWO. The Usos and Solo would completely decimate the LWO and leave them laying in the middle of the ring, so the bloodline stands tall after this situation. Now, after this, we had a matchup between the Raw Women's Champion, Bianca Belair, going against Dakota Kai, who has Bayley and Io Sky in her corner. Bianca Belair would win the match by pinfall by hitting Dakota with the KOD for the win. After this, we had Cody Rhodes coming down to the ring. He's not dressed in his casual suit. He's dressed in wrestling gear. And Cody will call Brock Lesnar down to the ring because Cody is ready for a fight. But Adam Pearce will come out and tell Cody that he respects what Cody's trying to do, but reminds Cody that he is not medically cleared to be here tonight, and he asks Cody to leave with all respect. Cody would tell Adam Pierce that he will leave the ring since Pierce gave him that respect. So Cody leaves the ring, but as soon as he leaves the ring and steps down off the ring steps, he stops and thinks for a minute. Then he goes underneath the ring and grabs a steel chair and get right back into the ring, and he's all amped up, ready to fight. And you see Adam Pierce tell Cody that, listen, you're still not medically cleared. And since you won't leave peacefully, I'll have you removed forcefully. So, Pierce would ask for security to come down. The security would run down to the ring and surround Cody. Then, Brock Lesnar's music would hit. And Brock Lesnar would come out and he would just stand on the entrance stage. And Adam Pierce would see Cody's eyes lit with fire. And you would see Cody just wanting to get at Brock. So, Pierce would say that, listen, Cody will get his match with Brock Lesnar at Backlash. And he makes it official. But that doesn't stop Cody, and Cody attacks the security surrounding him with the chair. And after taking care of that wave of security, Cody will be seeing Brock waving his hands, telling Cody to come get some. 
and Cody would take the bait. Cody would run directly towards Brock, and Cody is so close to touching Brock that as soon as he's about to touch Brock, another wave of security just rushes down there and grabs Cody. Now that wave of security would grab Cody and just rush him directly towards the ring. And Cody would see Brock just standing there and Brock would just be watching with a smile on his face. And then Brock would turn around and walk to the back. Cody would destroy this wave of security, then get a mic and call Brock a coward. But in the end, Cody still gets to match what he wants. He gets a match with Brock Lesnar at Backlash. So ultimately, Cody did get what he wants. Now after this, we have Seth Rollins going against The Miz. Seth would win the match by pinfall by hitting a superplex, then turn it into a Falcon Arrow, then finish the Miz off with a curb stomp for the win. After that, you have Brock Lesnar going against Austin Theory. This match would end in a no contest when Bobby had Theory in the hurtlock, but Bronson Reed would appear and hit both men with a body splash in the corner. Now the ref would call for the bell. Theory would roll out of the ring. Bronson would hit Bobby Lashley with another body splash in the corner. Then Bronson would dismantle Bobby outside of the ring. Bronson would throw Bobby back into the ring and then put Bobby on the shoulders, looking to hit him with a Samoan drop. But Bobby would get off of Bronson's shoulders and try to lock in the hurt lock. But Theory would roll into the ring and drop kick Bobby behind the head, then quickly leave the ring so Bronson could finish off Bobby Lashley. So that's what Bronson does. Bronson gets Bobby, hits him with a Samoan drop, then goes to the top rope and hits a tsunami on Bobby Lashley. And that's how this ends. So Bronson is still picking up from him and uh, Bobby's confrontation that they had last week in their one-on-one match that ended in a no contest because both men were continuing fighting. So this thing between these two guys or not, well, isn't finished. And it was not announced that there'll be a match of backlash between the two, but I can probably see where this is going. They're going to have a match at backlash. And again, I hope it's a false count anywhere because two big guys just battling it out all across the arena. I think in Puerto Rico, I think it makes a lot of sense because of the whole uh, brutality type nature that Puerto Rico has, at least in the wrestling territory days of what people like to remember about Puerto Rico and their wrestling. You had a whole lot of uh, brawls in the arenas around the stadium and all that type of stuff. So if they could get a no uh, holds barred match or a false count anywhere between Bronson and Bobby, I think that would make a whole lot of sense. Now, after this, we have Trish Stratus coming out to the ring. Trish would give the veteran speech of, without me, none of this would be happening. Trish mentions that when she entered the wrestling business, more specifically the WWE, the women's division was looked at as a joke, and she was the one who turned it around. Not her and Lita. She would just put that spotlight directly on her. Trish would mention that she would watch for a while when she was retired, as Becky and the rest of the four horsewomen would claim that they revolutionized women's wrestling, And Trish would say that she let it slide, but she couldn't take it no more. And Trish would let it be known that she was the one that took out Lita last week because she wanted Becky to know that it was her that screwed Becky out of the Women's Tag Team Championships. Trish let it be known that she is not a nostalgia act, she is not a sidekick, she is the greatest of all time, and she's not going to let anybody rewrite that. So Trish is basically the main villain in the women's division, She's there to call out all the women, and she's there to prove why she is the best. That's her whole point of doing what she did to Becky last week. Now, will Trish be facing off against Becky at Backlash? I said last week I think it would be the case, but looking at it now, I think they're not going to do that. I think they're saving that match for another big event. I think they'll probably give Trish another spotlight match at uh, Backlash for her to just add a win under her belt. But do I see Becky being the one? No, I see Becky probably going after Trish after the match. But Trish and Becky, they're probably not going to have that match. They're probably going to wait until another big event to happen. Now, after this, we have a tag team matchup of Candice LeRae and Mia Yim going against Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville with Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez, the women's tag team champions, watching from ringside. Chelsea and Sonya Deville would win the match by pinfall when Mia would look to hit Sonya with eat defeat. But Chelsea Green would get in the ring and hit Mia Yim with unprettier for the win. Now, after the match, Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville will get closer to Liv Morgan and Raquel's face, and Chelsea will have a bottle of water in her hand and squeeze the water into Liv and Raquel's faces, and you will see Chelsea and Sonya just run to the back. Chelsea splashed the water into the champion's face because she wanted to throw them off their game because Chelsea and Sonya, they do have a title match against the champions on SmackDown, So we'll have to find out if that uh, whole 
distraction paid off for them whenever SmackDown hits. Now, after this, we go off to the main event. Six-man tag. Judgment Days. Finn Balor, Damian Priest, and Dominic Mysterio with Rhea Ripley in their corner. Going against Matt Riddle, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn. Now, in the main event, Matt Riddle would get the win for his team by pinfall when Kevin Owens would hit Finn Balor with the stunner. Then Sami Zayn would hit Finn Balor with the haluva kick. To finish it off, Matt Riddle would tag himself in, and he would hit the floating bro on Finn Balor to win the match. Now, after the match, you would see the Usos and Solsicola running into the ring, attacking both uh, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, and Riddle. And you would see them beat them up, decimate them, and then you see the LWO running down, Legato and Rey Mysterio, and they'll try to join in to help out Riddle, Kevin Owens, and Sammy. Then the Judgment Day would get up, and they will help out the Bloodline. So now you got these two super groups just completely going against each other, and that's how Raw ends with these two super groups battling with each other, and referees and security and backstage personnel will come down there trying to separate just the groups in general, and that's how Raw ends, with nothing but chaos. And I like the way that it ended. Raw should end off with a chaotic situation, the same way that it opened up with a supergroup, an alliance starting off, and it should end with a supergroup beating up or having another battle with another supergroup. I like the way that they did this. I hope they continue doing this more down the line. So that was your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the week. Now moving on to NXT. First thing to note, next week at Spring Breaking, we will have a tag team matchup, a pretty deadly going against Tony D'Angelo in stacks in the first ever trunk match. Now, what my understanding of the trunk match is, you have to put both of your opponents inside of a trunk. So it's almost like a dumpster match in my best explanation. Also, next week at Spring Breaking, it will be a mixed tag match of Josh Briggs and Fallon Henley going against Brooks Jensen and Keanu James. Now, off to NXT, the first thing to happen on NXT would be a brawl will break out between the Dyad, Gallus, and the Creed Brothers, which will lead to their triple uh, threat tag team championship matchup. And Gallus would retain their championships by pinfall when Julius Creed had Zach Gibson on his shoulders and Brutus Creed started climbing the top turnbuckle. James Drake would try to pull Brutus off the turnbuckle, but Brutus would knock James down. And by doing so, James would knock Ivy Nile down on the way. So when Brutus hits Zach with a Brutus ball from the top turnbuckle, Julius would see Ivy knocked down on the floor and check on her. Brutus would ask Julius what he's doing, and this would allow Gallus to grab Brutus and hit him with an airplane spin running knee combination for the win. So Gallus retained their championships, and the Creeds in Dyad still are not champions. After this, we had Noam Dar going against Miles Bourne. Noam Dar would win this match by pinfall by hitting a running insiguri on Miles Bourne for the win. After this, we had Odyssey Jones. He would come down to the ring for his match, but as Odyssey's in the ring, Braun Breaker would come in and spear him. Odyssey would then roll out of the ring, and Braun would get a mic and talk about interrupting Chase Yu's uh, award ceremony last week. Braun says that he is showing everyone this new side of him, and he, everyone is going to feel it. Odyssey felt it. The new NXT champion Carmelo Hayes felt it. Andre Chase felt it. Duke Hudson would appear from the crowd and tell Braun to keep Andre Chase's name out of his mouth. Duke would clown Braun for being upset about losing his NXT championship. This will lead to Duke challenging Braun to a match next week at Spring Breaking. Braun will tell Duke that if he needs seven days to prepare himself, then he could take it. Duke would tell Braun that he wasn't finished talking and that Braun will be facing the life and spirit of Chase Hugh, and that's Andre Chase. So Braun will look into the camera and tell Andre Chase that next week he's going to get speared in half. Duke Hudson played the coward role. I thought for a brief second that he actually was going to face Braun, but then as soon as he started talking about the spirit and the life of Chase Hugh, I automatically knew, okay, he's throwing in Andre Chase here. Just another coward move. So again, we're building on to that story between Andre Chase and Duke Hudson. And slowly but surely, we're going to see Andre Chase like look at Duke and Duke is going to be showing his true self more and more, not caring about Chase U. It was always about him and how he used Chase U just to get into the spotlight because he was doing nothing before then. So that's where this is ultimately going to lead to. But also, this is giving Braun another opportunity just to kill time until he goes and fights Carmelo Hayes again for the NXT Championship. So they're giving Braun this. After this, we had Roxanne Perez going against Zoe Stark. 
Roxanne would win the match by pinfall when Roxanne would be thrown into the corner. Zoe would run towards her. Roxanne would pop onto the second turnbuckle and hit Zoe Starks with Pop Rocks for the win. After the match, the NXT Women's Champion Indy Hartwell would come down to the ring and tell Roxanne that she wouldn't be Women's Champion if it wasn't for Roxanne. And she would challenge Roxanne to a match next week at Spring Break and for the Women's Championship. Roxanne would agree to the match, and then you would see Tiffany Stratton come out and complain about not getting the championship match. Tiffany would say that Indy has handed out championship opportunities to beatable competitors. So Indy will say that she is going to prove that she isn't a beatable champion. So Indy decides to make the match next week into a triple threat match with Roxanne and Tiffany. After this, we had Gigi Dolan going against Cora Jade. Cora Jade would win the match by pinfall thanks to JC Jane running down to the ring and interfering. When Gigi was beating up on Cora, JC would run down to the ring, get on the ring apron, and try to strike Gigi. Gigi would move out of the way. Cora would try to roll up Gigi for the win, but Gigi would kick out. Gigi would leave the ring, attack JC, throw JC over the commentary table, and make her land on Booker T. Once Gigi would get back into the ring, Cora would hit Gigi with a running knee to the face, then finish off Gigi with a double underhook DDT for the win. Now, after the match, Cora J would get a mic, but Lyra Valkyria would appear on top of the NXT perch and tell Cora J that they'll be facing off next week at Spring Break-In. After this, we had Dijak going against Apollo Crews. Dijak would win the match by pinfall when Apollo was on the top turnbuckle. Dijak would run over to Crews, attack him, then set him up on his shoulders and hit Feast Your Eyes for the win. After the match, Dijak wants to beat up on Apollo some more, but Ilya Dragunov would run down to the ring and attack Dijak. Now you have both Dijak and Ilya throwing hands until security runs down to separate them. That match does not get made for next week's spring break-in, so they're probably saving that for the week after spring break-in. After this, we have the North American Championship match of Wesley defending his championship against Charlie Dempsey with Drew Gulak in his corner. Wes would retain his championship by pinfall when he would hit Dempsey with the cardiac kick for the win. After the match, Drew Gulak would get in the ring and attack Wes. Dempsey would join it, and now it becomes a 2-on-1 beatdown. Now, after the beatdown, Drew Gulak would hold the NXT North American Championship in the air and call Wesley a flash in a pan. That match does not get a made official next week at spring break-in, so they're probably saving that one for the week after spring break-in. Now, after this, we get the main event segment of the Grayson Waller effect with his special guest, the NXT champion, Carmelo Hayes, with Trick Williams. And this was their way to set up and hype up the people for them to see their upcoming NXT championship match for spring break next week. You'll have Carmelo and Grayson Waller just basically being two ego guys, just going at each other's with jabs back and forth. Grayson would say that all of Carmelo's accomplishments have been done with the help of Trick Williams. Carmelo would jab back by saying all of Grayson Waller's viral moments are basically of him losing. You would then hear Grayson Waller saying that once he beats Melo for the championship next week, Melo can call up MVP and have him basically roll with MVP and be the baggage claim guy for Omos. And then you would see Melo talk about how Logan Paul is looking for a new guy to dress up in his prime mascot bottle. And he says that Grayson Waller would be perfect for that. So again, you have two ego guys just going back and forth, but they did it in such an entertaining way. It makes people want to see the confrontation between Melo and Grayson Waller next week that I suggest you really check out this segment. You can easily just type it into YouTube, Grayson Waller, uh, Carmelo Hayes, NXT. You can easily type it in, just watch the segment. It's very entertaining, but... Again, we all know what's going to happen. Melo is going to win the championship next week. He's going to retain the championship. And if Grayson Waller does not get drafted next week on SmackDown or uh, the following week after that on Raw, I can see him probably staying in the next team and probably being the guy to take the title off of Wesley, the North American championship, if he does not get drafted. But we will have to see uh, what happens next week on SmackDown for the draft when it first happens and then. Again, if he doesn't get drafted on SmackDown, we'll have to wait on that Raw after the fact. So all this really purges on next week's events of what happens. I don't think Melo's going to lose the championship. I think Grayson Waller's going to uh, lose the match. And it's all up in the air for Grayson Waller, to be truly honest with you, because he could be on the main event. That's only if they want him there right now. And it's not up to me. If it was up to me, I'll say 
we can put Grayson Waller on the main event and have him do a couple things. And if anything, we can have him team up with someone like The Miz and have him just basically be with The Miz for a couple. And do I think they're going to win the tag titles? No, but you can just have him basically be the guy with The Miz, have him team up with each other, then briefly cause some tension, and then they can split, and then Grayson Waller does his thing. Because right now, they need another guy to pop up there, and I think Grayson Waller would be a great exception. And with the draft shaking a lot of people around, I think Grayson Waller would be a brilliant uh, addition to either the SmackDown or Raw roster. But again, all this purchase on next week's uh, events of NXT Spring Breaking. But with that, that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now moving over to AEW Dynamite, where first off, we will have Jungle Boy coming down to the ring, but before he can say anything, Sammy Guevara will come out, then following up, Darby Allin will come out. This segment was used to showcase how Sammy Guevara and Darby Allin are more alike, while MJF and Jungle Boy are more alike. Meaning, and I'll give an example, the main argument here for Sammy and Darby was that they will do and have done everything to get where they are today, saying they jumped off. Uh, high uh, objects, they put their bodies on the line every time in their in the ring, and how basically they've been around like legends just to get to the position that they're in. While on the other hand, MGF and Jungle Boy, they were literally handpicked from day one in AEW to be the Golden Boy spots. So Jungle Boy will say that Sammy and Darby or all about self, while he is about the people, saying that he will be the next world champion, and he's not doing doing it for himself, but he's doing it for the fans. Now, out will walk the AEW world champion, MJF, comes out on the stage, and he would announce that he has talked with Tony Khan, and they have come up with a Pillars tournament, where the winner will be facing MJF at Double or Nothing for the world championship. MJF will say that someone will have a bye going into the second round, and MJF will pull a name out of the hat to determine who will get the bye, and Darby Allen will be the name pulled. So with Darby getting a bye in the main event, it will be the first round, Sammy Guevara going against Jungle Boy. So later in the night, we will get a backstage segment with Sammy Guevara having his interview with Ray Paquette. MJF will walk up to him, and he will tell Sammy point blank that he can guarantee him a spot in the main event, a double or nothing. But the only thing he has to do is just lie down. Sammy Guevara said he isn't going to do that. MGF will say that he's going to give Sammy a blank check. And Sammy can write any type of number that he wants on it. So Sammy would write a number. We will not know what that number is. But MGF would say, that's the real number. Sammy would say, yep, that's the number. So they seal the deal with a hug. And we will have to see in the main event. What will happen? Will Sammy advance to the second round or will he be knocked out of the tournament? But I'll get to that when I talk about the main event. Now, off to the first match of the night, it will be a tag team match. Ruby Soho and Tony Storm with Soraya in their corner going against Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. Britt Baker and Jamie would win the match by submission when Britt will lock in the lockjaw on Ruby Soho and Ruby would tap out. After this, we will have the Elite coming down to the ring. Omega will talk about the chaos that Blackpool Combat Club has put on the elite, talking about hurting Don Callis, hurting the Young Bucks, hurting Brandon Cutler and Michael Nakazawa. Kenny will say that he has been thinking about last week, Kenny missing, uh, hitting John Moxley with the screwdriver. Kenny will say that he wants to squash the beef with Blackpool Combat Club and calls them out. Now, Brian Danielson would appear on the screen, and Brian would talk to the elite, and this was all a setup, so the Blackpool Combat Club could come into the ring behind the Elite and basically ambush them. Now, once they do this, we would get a brawling situation between the two groups, and the Blackpool Combat Club would take control of this brawl, and it would lead to Kenny Omega being in the middle of the ring, him being held by all three members of the Blackpool Combat Club. Brian Danielson would come out, and he would say that, Kenny, you were the only professional in this entire arena right now, or at least that's what I thought, but it seems that you want to be an amateur. And so Brian would pull out a screwdriver, the same one that he did whenever he wanted to blind Hangman Page, and he was looking to do the same thing to Kenny Omega, but Don Callis would come out with Kenosuke Takeshita, and he would basically have Takeshita try to save the elite. So Yuta would see Takeshita, he'll run up to uh, Takeshita, Takeshita would take care of Yuta, then Takeshita would get in the ring, he would take care of 
Claudio by throwing him out of the ring. Then you have Kenny Antikesta, uh beating up on Moxley. Yuta will get in. You'll see Kenny and Takeshita beat up on Yuta. They will eliminate Yuta, and then they will eliminate Moxley out of the ring. Brian Danielson would gather his Blackpool Combat Club teammates, and they would retreat into the crowd. So now we see that Takeshita is kind of with the elite, thanks to Don Callis bringing him out. And you saw Kenny have a, like, look on his face while he's looking at Takeshita. So I'm not sure if Kenny's okay with this idea yet, but Kenny's going to have to be because right now they're one man short. Blackpool Combat Club has four guys, Yuta, Claudio, Mox, Brian, and right now the Elite only has, what, the Bucks and Omega. Now they need Takeshita on their side. And Hangman Page, Kenny still has a beef with Hangman, so that hasn't been resolved yet. And I understand exactly where they're going with this. Again, we're going to get a big... uh, team versus team situation at double or nothing. That's usually the uh, pay-per-view for this type of style of match. So I wonder who they're going to get for the Blackpool Combat Club side. Are they just going to have a four on four or are they going to do the traditional five on five situation? Either way, I'm going to be good with it because right now I like the direction that they're going with this. We can save off for the inclusion of Heyman Page until they go into their blood and gut situation. But if they want to do it at double or nothing, I do wonder who's going to be the fifth member for Blackpool Combat Club. I'm pretty sure they have a deep enough roster that they can add somebody into it that would make sense. But time will tell. Now off to our next match for the TNT Championship, where Warlow with R. Anderson in his corner will be going against the champion Powerhouse Hobbs with QT Marshall in his corner. Warlow would win the match by pinfall by hitting Powerhouse Hobbs with three power bombs to get the job done. Now, this match, it was fun. You had the interference of QT, and you had uh, Arn Anderson coming to play. Spoiler for that. You will see Arn Anderson basically pull out his moniker of Glock Anderson by doing the hand motion to pull out the gun. QT would scurry out of the ring where he was met by uh, Penta Pentagon, and Penta would superkick QT, throw him into the ring. Arn Anderson would DDT QT Marshall, and that's the last you see QT in this. So I liked that he had this inclusion of Arn Anderson helping out Warlow. And also, for people that don't know, uh, Arn Anderson is helping Warlow out here because Warlow was in the pinnacle with Tolly Blanchard. Tolly Blanchard, who's part of Four Horsemen. And Warlow said that he got advice from Tolly, a Four Horseman, to get help from another Four Horseman. And this would bring in Arn Anderson. So that's the reason why Arn was here with Warlow. And I like this pairing. If we can continue with Arn Anderson with Warlow, that would be great. Especially with Warlow's next uh, challenge that he's going to be going against. Because after the match, you'll see Christian Cage and Luchasaurus come out onto the stage and stare at Warlow. So you kind of see where this next thing is happening. Warlow's going to be going against Luchasaurus with Christian being in the manager position for Luchasaurus. And I like this pairing because Luchasaurus, he needs something to do since he's since this is his first, like, match back since, what, Full Gear? Full Gear was, what, in uh, November? So we haven't seen Luchasaurus for, what, December, January, February, March, April? Five months. Damn, five months. It's been that long. Yeah, we haven't seen him since that long, and now we're getting that. So Luchasaurus is back. Christian is back since he's been out since uh, Revolution. So... It's good to see both of these two guys, and I want to see what we're going to get with Luchasaurus going against Warlow. And also, I did see people not happy with Powerhouse Hobbs losing the TNT Championship. I wasn't happy either, and I understand why people aren't happy that Powerhouse Hobbs lost the championship to Warlow, because it just seems that we just got started with Powerhouse being a TNT champion, him being a champion. But, I mean... Hopefully, this gives Powerhouse another opportunity to go after another championship. He could probably be the guy to take the title off of Orange Cassidy, the international championship. I would suggest that, if anything. So, let's just see what they do with Powerhouse before I start really, like, casting judgment onto AEW with this. I'm going to let them see what they do with Powerhouse before I do anything. Now, after this, we have the AEW in-ring debut of Jay White with Juice Robinson in his corner, going against Commander. Jay White would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Blade Runner to win the match. Sean Spears was in the crowd for this match, and he would rate 
both Jay White and Commander. He would give Jay White a 5, but he would give Commander a 10 for all the spectacular moves that he was doing. And I like this, because this gives Sean Spears something to do, and it also gives people that were watching and following Sean Spears since he was in NXT days as Ty Dillinger doing the whole 10 gimmick, where he would come out from time to time during random matches on live events, and people would record it, and he would just come out and just give random numbers for the star rating of the match. And I like that he was in the crowd doing this. Again, me just throwing out a little nerd fact here. Um, after the match, though, Juice Robinson would pull Sean Spears over the guardrail and start attacking him. Jay White would join in on the beatdown. Ricky Starks would run down to the ring and spear Juice, while Jay White would escape from the ring. So it shows that Ricky Starks isn't done with Juice Robinson or Jay White. And it seems that we're adding another piece of the puzzle. Sean Spears probably going to be teaming up with Ricky to take on Juice and Jay. So that's where we're at with this. I can at least see where this was going. Also, Tony Khan would announce on Twitter that Commander is now a part of All Elite Wrestling. So Commander is now with All Elite. And I was kind of figuring that because when you watch this match with Commander and Jay White, this is supposed to be Jay White's showcasing match. For people that didn't watch him in New Japan, this is supposed to be a match that you can see what he's all about and what he can do in the ring. But it just seemed that this match was more of a 50-50. Commander was able to get some offense on Jay White. It wasn't like your traditional squash match where a debut match would usually be. So I was trying to figure out how was Commander getting all this offense on Jay White since this is supposed to be Jay White's like officially debut match on AEW. But it made sense after seeing the tweet from Tony Khan. So once I saw that, I was like, okay, now it makes sense. Now getting off my nerd stuff again, getting back to the show. Next thing that happened after this, we have Adam Cole and Chris Jericho with their in-ring segment here. Adam Cole will say that he has studied Chris Jericho's career, and anybody that knows Adam knows that he respects Chris Jericho, so this will lead to Adam and Chris shaking hands. Chris will say that he doesn't respect Adam Cole. Chris will talk about how Adam disrespected him last week by interrupting Chris Jericho's celebration when he came down to check on Keith Lee. Adam would say that Chris is acting like a real jag-off here saying that Chris has an ego problem and he hasn't looked himself in the mirror, not knowing who he really is. Adam will say that Chris has wanted his attention. Now he has it. So what are they going to do about it? Chris will say that he isn't a jag off and tell Adam that he should leave the ring before something happens. So then we would get Chris shoving Adam. Adam would punch Chris. And now we would get Adam punching Chris Jericho into the corner to the point that Daniel Garcia would run down to make the save for Chris Jericho. So now you have Daniel Garcia and Chris Jericho attacking Adam Cole. Britt Baker would run down and tell Chris Jericho and Daniel Garcia to stop attacking Adam. Chris would get slapped by Britt Baker. And then we would see from underneath the ring, the outcast would appear and they would attack Britt Baker. Now, Daniel Garcia would go outside of the ring, grab some handcuffs, handcuff Adam Cole to the bottom rope, and Chris Jericho would get a kendo stick. Adam Cole would see Chris Jericho with the kendo stick and say, go ahead, hit me with it. But that doesn't happen. Chris Jericho would turn around and hand the kendo stick to Soraya, and Soraya would hit Britt Baker multiple times in the back with the kendo stick and have Adam Cole watch as he couldn't do anything as he saw his girlfriend just basically get beat down. Adam Cole, he would try all his might to try to break the cuff, but he just couldn't do it. So he had to watch as his girlfriend got beat down. So this is where we're at here. I think we're going to get probably like a mixed tag match of Adam Cole and Britt Baker going against Soraya and Chris Jericho somewhere down the line before we get to the singles uh, match of Chris Jericho and Adam Cole. I think that's where this is going. I think that's where this should be going personally. If they don't do the mixed tag team matchup, I think that's a big waste of an opportunity because I think you're uh, setting it up in the way that you did it. I understand you want to try to get Adam Cole that anger, that fury, and that reason to go after Chris Jericho more, but I think it just gives the fans more reasoning for them to see Adam Cole and Britt Baker team up together to go against Soraya and Chris Jericho. I think that needs to be added into this feud since you just did this angle here. But again, we'll have to wait and see. I did like seeing this angle here because, again, it adds something to this rivalry of Chris Jericho and Adam Cole. Now, after this, we will still continue on with the Jericho Appreciation Society as we have the six-man tag. Jericho Appreciation Society members 2.0 and Jake Hager going against the Acclaim and Billy Gunn. The Acclaim and Billy Gunn would win the match by pinfall when the Acclaim would hit their tag finish, the arrival, and the mic drop on Angelo Parker for the win. 
Now we move on to the main event. Sammy Guevara going against Jungle Boy. And you had MJF watching this match from the backstage area. And you have Darby Allen watching this match from the balcony. And Sammy Guevara, he will win this match by ring out or count out. When Sammy Guevara would see Jungle Boy on the top turnbuckle and then drop kick him off. And this was in Jungle Boy flying into the timeskeeper area. And Jungle Boy would start getting to his feet by what? The count of seven. And Sammy Guevara would try to distract the referee. And as he's doing so, MJF, he would run down to the ring and he would punch Jungle Boy in the face with a dynamite ring. And he would hop the barricade and hide. And then you would see Sammy Guevara tell the referee to continue counting. And the referee will look confused for a moment, but he would continue with his count. And then he would get the 10 and he would ring the bell. So Sammy Guevara, with help from MJF, advances to the second round of the Pillars tournament, where next week he will be going against Darby Allen for the right to face MJF at double or nothing for the AEW World Championship. After the match, you will see Sammy Guevara and MJF embrace in the middle of the ring, hugging each other, uh, acting like best friends. And again, we all know in the grand scheme of things, they're just trying to get to that main event spot of double or nothing, where supposedly right now, if they do get to Sammy and MGF, Sammy's just supposed to lie down for MGF, but we know that's not going to happen here because next week it's going to basically be Jungle Boy coming down there to interrupt the match, and we're going to get the Fatal 4 match at Double or Nothing with MGF defending his championship against Jungle Boy, Darby Allin, and Sammy Guevara. That is the big plan. Even after the match, you saw Sammy Guevara and MGF. They kind of teased it, saying there's not going to be no fatal four-way match because they listen to what the people on the internet say. And again, we as fans, we know where this story is headed. We know where it's going. We just got to go through this hurdle because they still got, what, a month and a couple weeks to build up to the main event. So they're going to get this fatal four-way match between all four pillars for the AEW World Championship. It's just that they just want to continue on and try to make people believe that we're not going to get it. But we obviously know we're going to get that fatal four-way match. But until they announce it, we're just going to be along for the ride. Now, with that being said, that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, moving over to Impact. First thing to note, before I talk about Thursday's episode of Impact, I do want to give you the results that will happen on uh, Impact's pay-per-view Rebellion. The Ultimate X match for the Tag Team Championships, you will have Ace Austin and Chris Bay defeating the Motor City Machine Guns to retain their Impact World Tag Team Championships. In the 4-on-3 handicap match, you'll have Dirty Dango, Joe Hendry, and Santino Morella defeating the design. Uh, Diener, Angels, Callahan, and Khan because Callahan would end up turning on the design by hitting Diener with the baseball bat twice. So Callahan was playing the design all this time. Um, PCO would defeat Eddie Edwards in the last rides match. After this, you have the Triple Threat Elimination Match for the Impact S Division Championship. Trey Miguel will retain his championship, defeating Jonathan Gresham and Mike Bailey. In the Hardcore War between Team Dreamer and Team Bully, Team Dreamer would win that matchup. For the Vacant Impact World Championship, Steve Macklin would defeat Kushida. After the match, however, Steve Macklin will call out Scott Demore to tell him that he needs to hand him the championship because he said 10 days ago, Scott Demore would say that he would hand him the championship if he did beat Kushida. So, Scott is out here to uh, fill out his debt. So, Steve gets the championship from Scott because Scott is so upset, he throws it into Steve Macklin's chest. And then you'll see Steve Macklin attack Scott Demore in the back with the Impact World Championship. This will lead to Nick Aldis, who is now in Impact. He was at commentary for the matchup, getting into the ring and stare down with Steve Macklin here. So you know that Steve Macklin is going to have a beef with Nick Aldis down the line for the Impact World Championship. Now in the main event of Rebellion, you will have the Impact Knockouts Championship matchup between Deanna Perrazzo and Jordan Grace. Deanna Perrazzo would defeat Jordan Grace to become the Impact Knockouts Champion again. Now, moving over to Thursday's episode of Impact. First thing to note, next week on Impact, you will have Jordan Grace going against Masha Slamovich. Deanna Peraza will be defending her Knockouts Championship against Taylor Wilde, and the design will be going against Chris Bay and Ace Austin. Now, the first match to happen on Impact was a six-man tag match. Time Machine, which consists of the Motor City Machine Guns, and Kushida going against Jonathan Gresham, Mike Bailey, and the X-Division Champion, Trey Miguel. 
Time Machine would win the match by pinfall with Chris Saban hitting the cradle shock on Trey Miguel for the win. So you know there's probably going to be setting up for a X Division Championship matchup between Chris Saban and Trey because whenever the champion is defeated, basically being the person that's taking the pinfall or submission, whoever makes that person pin or tap usually is the number one contender. So with Chris Saban doing this, you can see a title match between uh, Trey Miguel and Chris Saban coming down the pipeline. After this, we had a matchup of Alicia Edwards going against Terror Rising. Alicia would win the match by pinfall when Alicia would hit a face buster, or better known as an X-Factor, for the win. After the match, Alicia would put her feet or her foot on the throat of Terra and choke her until Jody Threat would come down to the ring and throw Alicia off of Terra. And then Alicia would walk to the back. After this, we had Moose with Brian Myers in his corner going against Yuya Yamura with Bupinder Gujir in his corner. Moose would get the win by pinfall by hitting Yuramura with a hot shot, which is basically just throwing his uh, body onto the top rope and having his neck hit the rope. And then Moose would hit a spear for the win. After this, we had Kaz going against Good Hands, John Schuyler, and Jason Hotch. You have Kazarian win the match by submission by hitting Jason Hotch with a cutter and then locking in the cross-faced chicken wing on John Schuyler and making Schuyler tap out. On to our Impact Digital Championship matchup of the challenger Sheldon Jean going against the champion Joe Hendry. Joe would win the match by pinfall by hitting the standing ovation, which is a one-hand spine buster for the win to retain his championship. Now off to our main event segment here, Steve Macklin's championship ceremony, or as he would call it, the changing of the guard. You have Steve Macklin come out here with his bodyguards just manning the entrance ramp to make sure nobody will be able to come out here because Steve Macklin would say that he wanted no wrestlers around the ring. He wanted this moment in the sun for himself. Steve would talk about being in February 2021, Impact giving him an opportunity. And since he's came into Impact, he's been kicking doors down on his ways to become the Impact champion. He will mention that he followed every step to become champion, but the final step was to beat Josh Alexander for the World Championship in Canada. But since Josh got injured, that step couldn't happen, but the plan still went through, and Macklin is your new Impact World Champion. Now, Macklin would say that he is issuing an open challenge to anyone for the World Championship, as long as they are Canadian, since Impact was in Canada. So you have Scott Demore come out, and Scott Demore will talk to Steve Macklin. Scott will question Steve's intention of issuing this open challenge to any Canadian because is he just doing this because they're in Canada trying to embarrass Scott Demore's countrymen or is it because he's ducking Nick Aldis now the way that he was ducking Josh Alexander with all the time Josh was issuing open challenges. Steve Macklin would take offense to this and he would say that when does Scott Demore uh, exchange his balls for the headset because Steve Macklin thought that Scott Demore was going to come out here and face him like a man and take open that open challenge. Scott Demore would say he isn't going to do that, but he does have a Canadian in mind, and he would announce to Steve Macklin that at Under Siege, Steve Macklin will be going against PCO. So you have PCO come out. PCO would destroy Steve Macklin's uh, security guards at the ring entrance, well, the ring ramp, and they get in the ring. Then the guards would get back into the ring, fight with PCO, start dogging on top of PCO, and now you have a beatdown of the uh, security guards beating up on PCO. Some of the security guards will go outside of the ring, grab a table from underneath the ring, set it up in the corner, put PCO by the table. You have Macklin wanting to run over and hit a spear, but before he could do this, PCO would beat up on the security guards to the point that now all the security guards are out of the ring. Now you have PCO, Steve Macklin throwing hands with one another. PCO would get the better of it, hitting Steve Macklin with a DT. Macklin would roll out of the ring and hold his championship as he's standing on the entrance ramp. And Macklin would watch as PCO would spear two of Macklin's security guards through the table in the ring. So we have our match set up for Under Siege, Macklin's first defense of the Impact World Championship. See Macklin going against PCO. Now with that being said, that is your Impact Wrestling Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we're off to SmackDown. First thing to note on SmackDown, they would announce a couple matches that are going to be happening at Backlash. First thing to note, Seth Rollins versus Omos. That was really, really uh, random and really just thrown together. I think they just need to have a match for Seth Rollins to uh, perform 
at at Backlash, so they go against Omos. They're probably going to build it up a little bit on Monday Night Raw, but uh, yeah, that's one match that gets announced. Another match, triple threat match for the United States Championship. It's Austin Theory defending the title against Bronson Reed and Bobby Lashley. More than likely, they did that because of Bronson uh, beating up on Bobby, causing a DQ in Bobby's match with Austin Theory from this week's Monday Night Raw. So I can see the reason why they did that, but I thought they were going with the false count anywhere uh, matchup stipulation. But hey, it is what it is. So Bronson is now in the United States uh, Championship picture here. And lastly, they would announce that the SmackDown Women's Championship will be defended where Selena Vega will be going against the champion Rhea Ripley at Backlash. Now, off the SmackDown, the first match that will happen will be a tag team match. Judgment Day's Finn Balor and Damian Priest going against LWO's Rey Mysterio and Santos Escobar. Priest and Balor would win the match by pinfall when Rey had Finn in position for the 619. Santos would ask for the tag. Rey would tag him in. Ray would hit Finn with a 619. Santos would then hit a big body splash from the top turnbuckle onto Finn and pin him, but Finn wasn't the legal man. Priest was. Priest would throw Ray into the ring post, and Priest would get in the ring and hit Santos with the South of Heaven choke slam to win the match. After the match, Priest and Finn would get on the entrance stage, and Priest would give a warning to Bad Bunny about appearing on next week's episode of Monday Night Raw, telling him that he needs to mind his business and not mess with the Judgment Day. Or something will happen to him just like he did uh, the night after WrestleMania. Now, after this, we have Ricochet and Braun Strowman going against the Viking Raiders with Valhalla in their corner. Braun Strowman and Ricochet would win the match by a pinfall by Ricochet hitting a swanton bomb off the shoulders of Braun Strowman onto Ivar for the win. After this, we have the Women's Tag Team Championship match of Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville going against the champions Raquel Rodriguez and Liv Morgan. Raquel and Liv would retain their championships by a pinfall when the referee was looking at Sonya Deville and Liv would grab Chelsea Green's water bottle that she brought down to the ring and pour the liquid onto Chelsea, then roll her up. Now, as the referee is making the count, Raquel would put her feet on Liv for more leverage so Liv would be able to pin uh, Chelsea successfully for Liv and Raquel to retain their women tag team championships. After this, we had the Intercontinental Championship match of Gunther versus Xavier Woods. Gunther would retain his Intercontinental Championship by submission when Xavier would get Gunther in the backwoods pinning uh, maneuver, and Gunther would reverse out of it and lock Xavier Woods in the Gokita clutch, and Xavier would eventually pass out, making the referee call for the bell. This was a great match for Xavier Woods. Gunther always have uh, great matches on SmackDown, but this match with Xavier, it really proves something that Xavier Woods can be a... Uh, middle champion he actually could be a singles champion just in general if they want to push him to the main event card they can do that because xavier woods had a whole lot of fan support in this match with gunther here gunther can make people believe that he can be beaten gunther has that ability to make his opponents look like they're going to beat him since gunther has been an unstoppable intercontinental champion he's held the championship for over 300 days it's almost going on a whole year since he's held the Intercontinental Championship. So for Gunther to have this match with Xavier Woods and give Xavier Woods um, moments where it looks like he was about to win the Intercontinental Championship and the fans were really hyped to see Xavier Woods beat Gunther and for only Gunther to take it away, it proves that Gunther is, one, a credible champion. And two, Xavier Woods has the ability to make people believe that he is going to be a singles champion. And he should be a singles champion by now. This was... Xavier was first time competing for the Intercontinental Championship. That was shocking to me when I thought about it. And they're right, because he's competed for the United States Championship before against John Cena in John Cena's Open Challenge days. But the Intercontinental title, this is his first time. And for him to have a match, an outing like this with Gunther, I believe it should uh, allow some of the higher-ups in WWE, now merged with uh endeavor to see that AO we probably can make some money with Xavier Woods as a uh, singles champion but I'm always going to back every member of the New Day because they're the New Day and they're the greatest but um, that doesn't take away from the incredible match that Gunther and Xavier Woods had here but in the end Gunther would retain the Intercontinental Championship now we move off to the main event a no disqualification match Matt Riddle going against Sol Sokoa who has the Usos in his corner 
Solo would win the match by pinfall when he would catch Matt Riddle running off the ropes and hit him with a Samoan spike for the win. Now during this match we had Matt Riddle and Solo Sokoa hitting each other with kendo sticks and chairs. There was a tease of a table that was going to be used but no table was actually used except for the commentary table where Matt Riddle flipped the commentary table onto Solo to pay Solo back for what he did to him last week. This will have the Usos coming from the crowd getting into the ring and battling out with uh, Riddle, but Riddle would uh, take care of the Usos, sending them out of the ring and then hitting a floating bro from the middle rope onto the Usos outside of the ring. This will allow Solo to get up from underneath the commentary table, flip it back over, get back in the ring and do battle with Riddle, which ultimately led to Solo hitting Riddle with a Samoan spike for the win. Now, after the match, the Usos would get up. They would grab the table outside of the ring, put it inside of the ring, and then hit uh, Matt Riddle with the 1D, smashing Riddle through the table. And that's how SmackDown would end with the bloodline standing over Riddle's body. Now, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn were not there. More than likely, they were probably promoting uh, WWE somewhere in the United States, but they were not there on SmackDown to help uh, Riddle take care of the bloodline here. So, again, with that, that is your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. But before I get you guys out of here with the draft coming next uh, Friday night on SmackDown, we do know that we are having the rematch for the Tag Team Championships. The Usos going against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. But I want to talk about the draft here. During Gunther's match with Xavier Woods, it made me think of something. Why don't they have Gunther go to Monday Night Raw? Have Gunther in the Intercontinental title go to Monday Night Raw and have Austin Theory with the United States title get drafted over to SmackDown. And the reason why I say that is because of this reason. Gunther is a great wrestler and Raw has three hours. I think if you give Gunther 30 minutes, not every week, but almost like every month, Gunther will show everybody where they should be watching Raw at least for those 30 minutes where he's on the show. And it also will give Gunther more time to develop rivalries and actually give him time on the microphone. I understand Gunther is a old school style professional wrestler where they don't really talk on the mics that much. They go out there, do their jobs in the ring with their uh, wrestling abilities, and that's it. I feel that with Gunther and the rest of Imperium with Giovanni Vinci and Ludovic Kaiser, I think with this uh, situation of them going off to Monday Night Raw, I think with them going there, it will give them time to do storylines. It will give Giovanni Vinci some time. It will give Ludovic Kaiser some time. It will give uh, Gunther some time to get on the mic. It will give all three of these guys just time to basically flush out their characters more to the WWE, the main base of the WWE, not the people that already knew them because of their NXT days or even their time on the independence. I'm talking about the people that only watch probably Raw on Monday night and probably get highlights of SmackDown, that type of thing. And with Theory, I feel that he needs more time, not just in the ring, but just time to show his dominance as United States champion. I feel that SmackDown is the wrestling side of the product of the main roster. NXT, you get the wrestling and you get the storyline where they got to have mad multiple storylines and they try to fit it all into one show. But you also get the wrestling encapsulated in it. And they also have their uh, midway points where it's not on the premium live events on Peacock. You get your spring break-ins, you get your Halloween Havocs, you get your um, Great American Bash, you get all these other like shows on the actual USA network for free television where they get to again showcase story and they get to showcase wrestling on NXT but when on the main roster you don't get that you get the raw you get the smackdown that's all you get and with theory he already did the storyline he already has that underneath his belt I feel that he needs to showcase that he is a dominant United States champion and I think that with him going over to SmackDown with the United States Championship, he will be able to do that more. We already know that he's a heel. He's a bad guy. He cheats to win and all that type of stuff. But with him getting the showcase that he actually can wrestle, not just people thinking that his moveset got 
cut off by the WWE because some of the moves that he used to do on Independence, he's not doing on uh, WWE anymore. And people think that, well, Theory can't wrestle. No, I think that WWE needs to allow Theory to go to SmackDown and showcase, this is the reason why I was brought here. This is what I can do. You guys already know me for what I can do storyline-wise. Here's what I can do wrestling-wise, or let me remind you what I can do. So those are my two big picks. If I were to do the draft, those two will be off top. Transfer Theory to SmackDown, go there to Raw, and basically Imperium over to Raw. The bloodline, it doesn't matter. I know they're trying to hype it up because on SmackDown, after the fact, when Solo beat up on uh, Riddle and you had the Usos come out, they ask, where is the bloodline going? They possibly could be split up. The bloodline's not going nowhere. Now, I understand they might try to play that up next week if the Usos don't beat Kevin Owens and uh, Sami Zayn. And again, the draft's going to happen, and they might say, oh my God, the Usos went to Raw, Solo went to SmackDown, or vice versa. Listen, it's not going to matter because Paul Heyman with Roman Reigns, that whole bloodline story, they're going to have them all still be together. Paul's going to pull some strings and the bloodline's going to be all in one show. If that doesn't happen and they actually do have the Usos literally being on one show away from Solo who will be exclusively on the show with Roman Reigns, that would be a nice little twist in the algorithms because you're putting another wrinkle into the story of the bloodline and you're showing okay we might be going off into a direction of the usos literally going against solo and roman reigns but again we gotta wait for draft on smackdown to happen next week with that um but other than that who do i think else could benefit from the draft and what type of unpredictable moves i don't know i already said my theory about grayson waller i don't think he's winning the NXT title against Carmelo next week. So I don't know what they want to do with him. I don't know if they want to bring him up because he's ready, but I don't know if they want to do that yet. So Grayson Waller is one of my picks for that. If Braun Breaker did not turn as a bad guy, I can see him being drafted up because I think Braun still has another uh, match to go against Carmelo with, unless they're going to have Braun do double duty like they did Kevin Owens in, what, 2016? Um, I... I don't know. No, Kevin Owens did double duty in 2015. My bad, wrong year. But you get my drift. I don't know if they're going to have Braun do that because Braun's again main ready. I can see the Creed brothers getting drafted up because Creed's have nothing more to do in NXT right now. But are the Creed's going to get drafted over Ivy now? See, that's a different point right there too. But the Creed's, they're main roster ready. I think people will want them up there. Uh, Pretty deadly. I think they'll probably get the go-ahead, I think their trunk match against uh, Tony D'Angelo and Stax, that'll be their basically farewell to NXT, and they'll be signed up to the main roster. That's my main thing. NXT, you got a crop of talent. So for me, I think off top, I think the Creed Brothers, I think pretty deadly. If Braun didn't do what he did, I think Braun would have been signed up ready. But again, Braun still could be, and they want to try to probably uh, do double duty with him. I don't know. If Grayson Waller doesn't win and they have no more plans for him on NXT. I can see him being up there next for the women. I can see Zoe Starks because again, Zoe was one of those guys. And I remember uh during the um championship uh for the deadline thing where you had the Hall of Fame council sitting down, you had X Pac basically saying to Sean, I'm surprised that Triple H hasn't brought Zoe up to the main roster yet. So they could see Zoe Starks being a main roster chick. So that's one woman I see for the main roster. Um, anybody else from the main from NXT going up to the main roster? Uh, for the females, I don't know. I don't know. I know Zoe Star is like the top one, but other than that, I'm not so certain. It's probably some women that I'm probably forgetting right now that somebody's probably yelling at that are listing off mad multiple names, and I'll probably be kicking myself in the butt when I think about them after I get done recording. But you get my point. The draft next week. On SmackDown is going to start, but then it's going to finish it off on Monday Night Raw the following week after that. It's going to be interesting, so tune in to SmackDown next week, not just for the draft, only for that, but the tag team title match with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, but also tune in next week for NXT's, um, God, what is it? I forgot, off top, Spring Breaking. Tune in for that, because Grayson Waller with Carmelo Hayes, I'm pretty sure that's going to be a great match, and also the probably the NXT send-off of Pretty Deadly when they go against um Tony D'Angelo and Stax. Now, with all that being said, that has been your wrestling highlights of the week. I have been G2. 
Um, I love you guys. Please have a great Saturday. Please be safe. Please uh, say a prayer, not just for yourself, but for everybody. Because once you say a prayer, I feel that you'll start your day off uh, well and you'll at least get all the burden off of you and you'll be uh, good for the rest of the day. At least that's how I feel when I do my prayers in the morning. Now, with that being said, um, I also have a Sunday episode coming out tomorrow where I talk about stuff that happened in the news. And also, if you did not listen to Wednesday's episode of the Midweek Breakdown, I implore you to go listen to that because you'll get to listen to uh, 50 Cent's I Get Money after the fact. So, hey, if you just want to listen to that for the music factor, go and listen to it. But I got to implore you, go listen to every show that I basically try to produce every freaking week. But with that all being said and all the self-promotion out of the way, I do love you guys. Have a great day. Please be safe. This has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I, and I am him. I love you guys. Please have a great day. And with that, Kanye, could you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.